Matthew chapter 11. And let's begin our reading with verse 2. Now when John had heard in prison the works of Jesus, this is speaking of John the Baptist, he sent two of his disciples unto the Lord. The two disciples said to Jesus, Are thou he that should come? Are you the Messiah? Are you really the Messiah? Or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to John's disciples and to all who were present, You go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. Don't tell him what others are saying. You tell him what you've seen with your own eyes and what you've heard with your own ears. You go tell John how you saw the blind receive their sight and the lame their walk and the lepers their cleansing and the deaf their hearing, how you saw the dead raised up and heard the gospel preached to every one of them and more. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Blessed is the man who allows me to do my business and doesn't get upset about it. Verse 7, as they departed, Jesus began to again speak to the multitudes concerning John. He said, what went you out into the wilderness to see? Why did you go out into the wilderness to see when you heard that John was there? Did you go out to see a reed that was shaken with the wind? What went out ye to see? A man that was clothed in soft raiment? Did you go to see a man clothed in a three-piece Italian suit? No, you didn't find him, did you? Because those men are found in the king's houses bought and paid for by the king. What did you go out to see, verse 9? A prophet? Yes, you saw a prophet. And I say to you, you saw more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Truly I say to you concerning this one John, Among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. But listen to what follows. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and law prophesied predicted, foretold of John. If you will receive it, this is Elijah which has come. Verse 15. Whenever Jesus says, verse 15, and something similar to that, he's telling you to pay attention. Make sure you heard what he said. He says, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear what I've said about John. 
John the Baptist was a man of character. Let me say that again. John the Baptist was a man of character. Now the question you and I might have, and it's a legitimate question, what is character? Well, let's begin by letting me tell you what character is not. Let's start from the negative. First of all, character is not a pretty face. King Saul was one of the most handsome men that the nation of Israel ever produced. He stood head and shoulders above any man of his day, not just physically, but facially. But he died of manic depressant. He died by suicide. He was one of the worst kings Israel ever had. A pretty face is not character. Elvis Presley made women swoon, but he died a pill-taking junkie. A pretty face is not character. And yet so many times we measure people by how they look. Not how they look on the inside, but how they look on the outside. Character is not a pretty face. Character is not being wealthy. Do you know Emperor Nero, who was on the throne of Rome during the time of Paul and Peter? He had jewels like we have rocks. But today, as we gather here, he's in hell. And we don't name our children Nero anymore. We name our dogs Nero. Character is not having a pretty face. Character is not having a great deal of money. Character is not being a great speaker. Adolf Hitler could sway millions of people with his magnetic words. He was a demonized man, and when he spoke, he had demonic persuasion over people. But how did he use that influence? He used it to teach the German people how to be butchers and barbarians. Great speakers are not necessarily men of character. Wealthy men are not necessarily men of character. Men who look good and are shaped good are not necessarily men of character. Character is not being intellectual. Edgar Allan Poe, Ernest Hemingway were scholars. We still read their masterpieces today that they wrote, and we read them in awe. They were literary geniuses, but one of them died holding a whiskey bottle, and the other died at the end of a shotgun. Character is not necessarily having a high IQ. Character is not necessarily being religious. Jim Jones, David Koresh, many like them, were very religious. 
Oh, they could quote the Bible backwards and forwards and leftwards and rightwards. They claimed to be led by the spirits, and truly they were, but not the Holy Spirit. And these men who led many to death and hell, these men who led many to death and hell, they never found the Lord Jesus. So that's what character is not. There's nothing wrong with having these things or being these things, but let's not mistake them for character. What is character then, Pastor? What is the character that makes a man great for God? What is the character that makes a man's work not just an earthly work, but an eternal work? What is the character that allows a man to make a difference in this life and for the life to come? What is the kind of character that influences and impacts people for generations? What is character? It's knowing God's will. It's doing God's will. It's doing it with humility. It's doing it with faithfulness. It's doing with it with obedience. And it's doing it until this world comes and takes your head and puts it on a platter. Let me say that again. The godly character that makes a man or a woman or a young person great for God, that character knows the will of God. And that will is found where? Right here. It knows the will of God. It obeys the will of God. And it obeys the will of God with humility. It obeys the will of God with faithfulness. It obeys the will of God obediently. And it does so as long as it has breath until the world comes for you or me or those with character and takes us away. May I suggest to you tonight, John the Baptist was a man of character. He's a giant for God in a day of midgets. He cast a long shadow for the Lord in a day of short shadow casters. And tonight I want us to look a little bit about his character. And remember, this is not just a story about John. It's a story about you and I, gentlemen. And how God wants to use us as he used John in what I believe is the final days of history. John the Baptist was waiting on Jesus. And we're waiting on him too. Let's begin by looking at verses 7 through 10. By the way, when we were reading the scriptures early, I saw many of you had a puzzled look on your face and were asking yourself, what version is he reading from? Is it the King James? Is it the NIV? Is it the New American Standard Version? Well, the answer is no, no, no. The Jim Palmer Amplified Version. Actually, I'm just trying to clarify it, help paint a better picture for you. But let's begin by looking at the price that John would pay to have this character. 
verse 7, Jesus asked a series of questions to those who were there after he dismisses the disciples of John to go back and speak to John. And he says in verse 7, he says, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? Did you go out to see a reed that would be blown by the wind? If the wind blows to the left, it goes to the left. If the wind blows to the right, it goes to the right. If the wind blows it one way, it goes that way. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A Mr. Militos? A Casper the Friendly Ghost? A little spineless jellyfish? Is that what you went out to see? That's what Jesus is asking him. Where did you go out in the wilderness to see, verse 8? A man who was prim and proper, who had a $400 haircut, who had his nails polished, he wrote, who, who wore a three-piece Italian suit with $500 shoes. Jesus said, if you went out in the wilderness to find that kind of man, you won't find him out there. Those kind of men work in the king's palace. They're bought and paid for as yes-men to rulers. What did you go out to see? Verse 9, did you go out to see a prophet? A man who can't be bought, who can't be bullied, who can't be beaten? Did you go out to see a man who is stiff, who doesn't blow over with the tide of politics? He's straight. You went out in the wilderness to see that. You saw him. In fact, you saw a man that was more than that. He was more than a prophet. You saw the man that was predicted in the scriptures who would say, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, the one that shall prepare the way before the Messiah. John the Baptist was born with a purpose. How many of you have been born tonight? Raise your hand. Most of you. I guess the rest of you were hatched. If you are the son and daughter of a mother, if you were birthed into this world by the Creator, you were created and brought into this world with a purpose. God has a purpose for every single created being. Sometimes the purposes are obvious, sometimes not so obvious. Sometimes they're public, sometimes they're private, sometimes they're big, sometimes they're small. But if you know the purpose of God and you're doing it, you will be in God's Hall of Fame. John the Baptist was born with a purpose. His purpose was simply to be the prophet who announces the coming of Jesus. The prophets of the Old Testament had predicted that there would be another who would come and he would introduce the world to the Messiah. He would present the Messiah to the world. He would be the spokesman initially for the Messiah. And that man was John the Baptist. 
And God's plan for John and God's purpose for John was interesting. It would take John the Baptist to the desert. It would have him sleep on the hard ground of the desert, which was intensely hot in the daytime and intensely cold in the nighttime. God's plan and purpose for John the Baptist was to be dressed and camel cloth, for him to eat locusts and honey, for him to live without a family. John was not married. He had no children. God's plan and purpose for John the Baptist was for him to be arrested. Are you listening? For him to be arrested and to be thrown into the dungeon of the king, a hot, human, hellish place to live. God's plan and purpose for John the Baptist was for one day him to be taken out of that dungeon and have his head taken off his shoulders. But John the Baptist was a man of character because he realized that that's what his purpose was. And he joyfully fulfilled it, even to his death. Are you listening? He understood what was going to happen. He didn't understand it all at once. But gradually, the God of revelation began to give him more and more light. And John realized that he was not coming out of the dungeon alive. His ministry was over. The plan and purpose of his life had been fulfilled. He had faithfully, obediently, and humbly announced the Messiah. And now that the Messiah was here, he must increase John must decrease. And that decrease would mean he would die. And John accepted it. He accepted it. How would you handle that? I hope I would handle it as well. But with joy, John accepted, this is the plan and purpose of God for my life. You know, it's interesting, when you study church history, you will notice something that just seems to kind of jump out. It's the bleeders that God uses to bless. It's the sacrificers that God uses to save. It's the afflicted that God uses to influence. I don't know of any great man or woman of God who has ever lived who hasn't paid the price to do it. John the Baptist had the character that understood this is God's plan, this is God's purpose. God's plan and God's purpose is going to lead me to a dungeon and to be executed. Glory be to God. He accepted it, and he fulfilled it. David Bernard, 
He lived on Long Island, but God's plan and purpose for his life was to send him to the reservations to try to reach the red man for Jesus. He went. And he came back in a box. He died fulfilling that ministry. Adriam Judson, brought up in Boston, God's plan and purpose for his life was to leave New England and go to India. And there to share Jesus Christ with a nation that has the second largest population in the world. He would die there. Father Damien was born in wealth. But God's plan and purpose for his life was to give up his money and go put his hands not on silver and gold but on lepers and become the Mother Teresa of his day trying to reach the untouchable, the unlovable, the unwanted for the Lord. Do you really want to be used of God? Then you have to make yourself available. You have to accept God's plan and God's purpose for you. Though it may not be what your plan and purpose is, you accept what God's is for yours. And then you fulfill it. Until death comes for you. Very few men and women who are ever great for God live long lives. But they burn hot and they burn bright while they're here. Secondly, John not only paid the price that demonstrated he had the character that God can use, but he also had the privilege. Look at verse 11. He had a great privilege. He paid the price to have the character that God could use. But in verse 11 it says, Verily I say unto you, that word verily means truly. You say, well, Jesus always told the truth. He did always tell the truth. He just put that there so you and I would know that he's reemphasizing a truth. Okay? Truly I say to you, among them that are born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now John paid the price because he had the character that God can use to make a man great. But he also was paid a, a compliment. A compliment that was one of the highest privileges any man could ever be paid. Jesus said, John the Baptist is the greatest prophet that has ever lived up until I go to the cross. That's what he said. Among them that are born of women, there is not risen a greater than John the Baptist. And the old covenant, and the old dispensation, 
There has never been a prophet greater than John the Baptist. He was greater than Isaiah. He was greater than Ezekiel. He was greater than Elijah. He was greater than Daniel. He was greater than Jeremiah. He was greater than Zechariah. Every one of them are in God's Hall of Fame. And Jesus said, John is above them all. Why would Jesus say that? This is my thoughts. The other prophets I just mentioned said Jesus was coming. John said, he's here. The one that you, they talked about, they said he was coming. I tell you, he's here. What a privilege. I'm telling you, he's here. He is with us. Yet in all of John's greatness, Jesus said after the cross, there would be others greater than John. I wonder who that would be. Look at the person next to you. Look at the person on the other side of you. Look at the person in front of you. Look at the person behind you. And now look at yourself. If you are a born-again Christian here tonight, saved by the grace of God, washed in the blood of Jesus, clothed in the robe of righteousness, heaven-born and therefore heaven-bound, you and I are greater than John the Baptist. You know why? Because we got two things that John never had. We're born on the on the other side of the cross. He was born on the old side. We're born on the born again on the new side. What, what, Pastor, what, did, what do we got that John didn't have? Well, first of all, we've got the entire Bible. John didn't have the entire Bible. All he had was the Old Testament Scriptures. We've got the New Testament Scriptures. We've got the entire revelation of God's Word. Don't you think that's something to shout about? By the way, there is no new revelation. It's all right here. Everything God wants to say, He's put in the Bible. The Bible's complete. It's full. God is not speaking anymore. He's just saying, take what I've already told you and do it. It's important you know the Bible. Because we have the full scriptures, that makes us in many ways greater than John the Baptist who only had limited revelation. May I ask you a question? How many of you read the Bible? Okay, about 15 of you. <laughs> That's encouraging. You know, we live in a day of biblical illiteracy. Everybody has a Bible. Most people have two or three. But most of us don't read them. There's a biblical illiteracy today. There's many people who believe that the epistles were the apostles' wives. That Samson was a singer in a rock and roll band. 
that when saints die, they become angels and sit on a cloud and play the harp and sing dippity doo You know, there are people who sit in church all their life who believe that. Folks, we have God's full revelation, and if we would only study it, only apply it, we can have a ministry greater than the prophet John, who was so limited in what he knew. But also, we got something else that John didn't have. At the moment of salvation, we get something that he never got. The Holy Spirit of God. The moment you say yes to Jesus, the third member of the Holy Trinity comes into you as he came into me. He comes to indwell us, to live inside of us. The Lord is not in this building. He's in this building. He lives inside of us. He's in our house called this body. And when he saved us, he came inside of us. He baptized us into the universal body of Christ. He sealed us as His own until the day of glorification and complete redemption. He gifted us with the abilities to evangelize and to edify the lost and the saved. He fills us to show Him. He anoints us to serve Him. John the Baptist never had that. But we do. That's why Jesus is saying, notwithstanding, as great as John was, there will be those who will come after him that will make up the kingdom of heaven. And you will have an opportunity to be greater than John. Because you've got knowledge he never had. And you've got power that he never had. Oh, John... He was a man of character. He knew the will of God. He did the will of God. And he did it to the world said, you're not going to do it anymore. And he went to be with his Lord. And then he was paid a compliment by Jesus. The highest compliment any man of that time was ever paid. And then lastly, I want us to see one other thing. Look at verses 12 through 14. It says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and law prophesied until John. And if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was for you to come. The price, the privilege, the passion. I want you to notice that phrase. It says, suffereth violence. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. Now this phrase is a little misleading. What it's speaking of is passion. What it's speaking of is zeal. What it's speaking of is excitement. What it's speaking of is desire. And what the Lord Jesus is saying about John is, he paid the price to be used. I'm honoring him with the privilege of calling him the greatest prophet who's ever lived, but yet 
He will not be any greater than those who will follow him, you and I. And I'm, I could use him because he had passion. He had a passion. He lit himself on fire. And then he drew people to watch him burn for Jesus. John was a man of passion. He suffereth violence. That means he had a passion about what he did. He wasn't fanatical. He wasn't emotional. He was passionate. He had a passion for Jesus. He had a passion for the people of his day. He had a passion for the ministry that God gave him. We have today sound organization, sweet fellowship, and solid Bible-based ministry. But do we have passion today? Remember, God's looking for men and women he can use, young people he can use. He's looking for people who are willing to pay the price. There are not many out there who are willing to pay that price that John was. He's looking for people that he can compliment, that he can use as an example from generation to generation, that this is what I'm looking for. And you can be like this. And he's looking for passion. People that get excited about what they do. You know, our Pentecostal friends, I don't agree with their doctrine, but I like their way of worship sometimes. They have a little passion, a little get up and go about them sometimes. When's the last time you came to a worship service like tonight with anticipation? I can't wait to get there. Is it time? Is it almost 6 o'clock? I can't wait to... We start singing. Can't wait till we start praying. I can't wait till they, they take the offering. I can't wait till the pastor preaches. I just can't wait. When's the last time you came to church with that kind of anticipation? When's the last time you came with expectation? That God is going to show up tonight and He's going to do something that's truly of Him. I'm going to come. I want to come. And I'm going to sit on the edge of my seat. I'm going to creep up a little bit. I don't want to miss it when he shows up. Because when he shows up, lives are going to be changed. Souls are going to be saved. He's going to turn this church inside out and outside in. When's the last time you came with that kind of expertise? When's the last time you came with invitation? Anticipation, expectation, invitation. I'm so excited about going to church. I'm so excited about what God's going to do tonight that I'm going to get on the phone and invite some people. I don't want them to miss it. I understand Keith is going to set himself on fire and I'm coming to watch him burn. 
I understand the pastor is going to light it up. I want to watch it. When's the last time you were so excited and so anticipating what God's going to do that you invited somebody to come? Passion is anticipation. I can't wait to get here. Expectation. I know when I come, I'm going to get something. I'm going to see something that's of God. Invitation. I'm not coming alone. I'm grabbing people to come with me. And then participation. I'm not just going to sit there. I'm getting involved. I'm going to sing those songs. I'm going to pray. I'm going to give. I'm going to amen. I'm going to shout. I'm going to have my Bible open. I'm not just going to come and be a bump on the pew. I'm going to come and I'm going to participate. John the Baptist had that kind of passion. As I close, we're looking for men tonight who can be like John. Do we have any in the house tonight, gentlemen, who are willing to want to know God's will? Whatever it is, you want to know it. You're going to do God's will when it's revealed to you, and it will be revealed. And you're going to do it faithfully, obediently, humbly, until death do you part, however that is, whatever that means. And you're going to do it with the joy that even if it doesn't turn out well according to the world for me, it will turn out well up there. Because I want to hear my Savior say something of me that's complimentary up there. I want Him to speak of me one day in heaven and say, well done, my good and faithful son. Well done, my good and faithful daughter. You served me well. I'm proud of you. You did what I asked you to do, and you did it faithfully to the end. And you did it with passion. People came because you were passionate. I would rather hear someone sing who is passionate and doesn't sing very well than someone who is polished as a singer but just sings to sing. I would rather hear a man preach who has a little get up and go to him. Though he may not always be correct in every little jot and tittle that he says. And maybe sometimes he goes around in circles and maybe sometimes he chases rabbits. But he's excited about it. Versus someone who's so polished and so proper in everything they say that they put you asleep. Passion can cover up a lot of stuff. Oh, to God, give us passion. 
John the Baptist, his story was given to us that we might be like him. He said, Jesus is here. I tell you, Jesus is coming. And we let the world know he's coming. Because one day he'll be here, amen? Maybe sooner than we think. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.